0: have a favorite ghost story, when you're sitting around the fire at a camp out this summer, what spooky story do you usually go to? Uh, I, I, I like the one about the, the kid who gets stuck in the funeral home and and sees a casket floating toward him, and as he gets closer and closer, finally he reaches into his pocket and grabs a, a Halls cough drop and puts it in his mouth, and the casket stops. Because Halls stops the coffin. Now, now you have a new one to go around the, uh, the you, can, you can embellish that, I can make that story go 15 minutes if I need to, but um, ghost stories describe something that might be plausible or the person telling it has such conviction that you just, oh man, it must be true, you just kind of believe it even though it's kind of out there. A, a lot of people tend to believe in supernatural stuff or spiritual stuff, I, we could say. Uh, statistics even show that, 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 that um, more and more people believe that there's something more to life than, than just what we can experience with our five senses. More and more people are describing themselves as spiritual. Now, I, I didn't say Christian, uh, not, didn't say religious, but, but spiritual. Books uh, and movies and, and, and shows are describing other dimensions and the upside down and superhero powers and the multiverse. And although we know all those things are works of fiction, it shows that, that, that people's minds seem to be open to something more, something spiritual. And so maybe it's easier than ever to, uh, to tell a story like the one about Pentecost that we, uh, we saw here just, a, just a, uh, a couple seconds ago that happened a couple thousand years ago, a violent wind from heaven and tongues, tongues, tongues of fire, whatever, uh, and, and speaking in unlearned languages. Uh, uh, maybe it's not all that weird these days when we talk about the Holy Spirit. If you've been around the church uh, much at all, you've probably heard the Holy Spirit mentioned. If you've been around the church a long time, you might even refer to him as the Holy Ghost, right? And uh, yet there seems to be some confusion or, I don't know, uh, uh, not quite sure exactly what or who this spirit is I, I mean, a lot of people would say that they uh, have a concept of God, uh, probably thinking God the Father. There's this God out there somewhere. Uh, uh, many people are familiar with Jesus and the stories of of Christmas and Easter and and this man Jesus. But but things get a little fuzzy sometimes when we when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He seems like a bit of a mystery. Maybe even seems a little a little spooky, right? So. Let's try to clear up a couple things for us today And how we need to relate to and respond to the Holy Spirit in our lives First of all, uh, the Holy Spirit is fully God uh, we say that, that he's the third person of the Trinity so there's the Trinity God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit one one uh, God three persons maybe you get the impression though that it's a hierarchy right so it, it's not that the Holy Spirit is the third most important it's the third he's the third person of the Trinity uh, but he's just as much God as the others it's not that that, that there's like this uh, you know podium uh, gold silver bronze and and the Holy Spirit's bringing up the the, 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 the they're all God. The Holy Spirit is fully God We also need to know that the Holy Spirit is a person Not an it, right? The Holy Spirit is not a, a force uh, Despite what you might see uh, in, uh, in the movies uh, Where, where uh, the, the, you know, the, the Jedi can uh, zoom in on and, and connect with the force And, and uh, that's, that's movies, that's not Bible um, The Holy Spirit is not just the, the good energy in the room or I have a good feeling about this, or something made me say this, or go there. It's not just the good vibes that I'm getting. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. So both of those things are, are important, that, that he is fully God and that he is a person, uh, because since he is God and since he is a person, the Holy Spirit is relational. We, can, we relate to him. The, he is a personal God who wants to have a relationship with us. The disciples uh, didn't quite understand that when Jesus told them that He was uh, uh, leaving, that uh, uh, that that this whole relational thing—I mean, they, they thats one reason why they they didn't. Uh they they didn't like it because they had been in relationship with Jesus and you know I mean they kind of liked him and and they were enjoying their time together and seeing him move and work in their lives and in the world and and, and so so Jesus gathered with them and right before his betrayal and crucifixion he had a heart to heart with his disciples and and the long version is in John chapter 14 15 16 and 17 where where um Jesus gathers with his disciples in the upper room and he's telling them all of these things and what's going to happen and and he's going to leave. And he describes the Holy Spirit. And and it's in that conversation that Jesus told them that it was actually going to be better for them if he left. John 16 verse 7 says this, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go... I will send him to you. So the disciples are, are, are grieving over losing Jesus, and, and in the face of that, he tells them that, that it's for their good that he's going, because the Holy Spirit, who Jesus refers to here as the advocate, the Holy Spirit is coming. Why, why is that going to be better? Uh, we, we see that. Jesus actually describes it a, a, a couple chapters earlier, still in the same conversation, John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus had been with his disciples for several years. They, they, they hung out together. He taught them. They were closer than brothers, but, but there were times when he wasn't actually with them. He, Jesus was human, and he was confined to specific place and time, and so sometimes he sent the disciples out different places to do certain things, or, or there, were, there were times, I'm sure, when they just weren't always in the same room together, right? And so, so the, Jesus was, was confined to time and, and place. But as he heads back to heaven, he's promising to send the Holy Spirit who will not just be with them, but will be in them. Uh, Pastor Jim Simbola puts it this way in one of his books. Through his physical body, Jesus could be a mentor, teacher, preacher, and friend to the disciples, but he couldn't produce change from the inside out. This would be for the Spirit to accomplish, just as God had planned from all eternity. It's better. The Holy Spirit is not limited to time and space, so if God is within us in spirit form, it's better than God beside us in physical form. As great as it was for the disciples uh, when Jesus was here, it's actually better for us now because the Spirit is here. It's better because the Holy Spirit does so much in us and for us, I mean, it's virtually impossible, I think, in, in, in one sermon to unravel everything that the Holy Spirit is up to in our lives. Uh, he, has, he has quite a job description. Uh, again, I don't have time to, to give you chapter and verse on, on all of these things, but the Holy Spirit is, is literal, literally referred to from cover to cover in, throughout Scripture and uh, describes uh, who he is and what he does. He, he convicts us of sin. He inspires us. He guides and directs our lives. He gives us discernment to know what is best. The Holy Spirit is described as a counselor. He's our advocate. He is someone who stands up for us and encourages us. The Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us and purifies us and sanctifies us. It is the Spirit that bears witness with our own souls that we are God's children. Romans says that he is interceding for us, uh, praying for us, talking to God the Father on our behalf. Right now, the Holy Spirit is doing that for you. First Corinthians says that he gives every believer gifts and ability, spiritual gifts to be used to bring God's message, God's love to the world. He also produces spiritual fruit in our lives, godly character qualities like love and patience and kindness and, and the, uh, the, the, the whole list. Maybe a great way to summarize all of that because that's so much is to describe the Spirit the way Jesus did, the way Paul did. It is the Spirit who gives us life. The Spirit is the source, our source, of true, abundant, spiritual life. Jesus said it in John 6, 63. The spirit alone gives eternal life. Uh, Human effort accomplishes nothing and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Romans 8, uh, the Apostle Paul says in verse 10, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Through the Holy Spirit, God enables us uh, to live abundant lives, to to live in relationship with him, to overcome sin and temptation. Because when we come to the place of repentance and God forgives us of our sin, uh, Scripture tells us that all followers of Jesus receive the Holy Spirit. Luke 11, 13, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter is, is preaching and he says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All followers of Jesus, Christians, have been given the Holy Spirit. If you've repented of your sins and and accepted God's grace and forgiveness, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, and then then He chooses to live within you through His Spirit. We we talk about it in a lot of different ways. We're born again. Uh, Jesus uh, is in that conversation in in John chapter three talks about being born again as being born of the Spirit. Uh, we uh, uh, we we say we invite Jesus into our hearts. What's the Spirit of Jesus that we invite into our lives? Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is. Is, is within us if we are following Jesus That's a spiritual fact A.W. Tozer wrote it this way The Holy Spirit is not a luxury No, he is for every child of God A vital necessity So if, if all that is true And I believe it, it is Or I wouldn't have spent however much time I just did Preaching about it all If all that is true Then, then I have a question if all followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit does all of those things, why aren't more people living abundant lives? It, is this just some theological stuff that we pull out on the, uh, the uh, whatever Sunday, Sunday after Easter, and, and uh, it doesn't really play out practically? Actually, I, I think the answer is, is, is very practical. I think we're not living abundant lives... Because even though the Spirit does all those things and, and we have the Spirit, we're not keeping in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 puts it, puts it that way. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Yesterday I ran my umpteenth half marathon, and uh, maybe my last. Maybe I think that every, the day after every half marathon, I don't know, uh, and maybe I've mentioned this before, if you've run races, you'll know that, that uh, in those longer races, the race organizers provide uh, what they call pacers to, uh, to help people out. They're, pacers are people who are, who are going to run the race at a certain pace, no matter what. Now I, I usually have a decent idea of uh, of what my pace is when I'm running. I, I I have a usually have a goal time that I'm shooting for. Now yesterday I just wanted to finish, and I did, and I didn't finish halfway through either, so that was good. But uh, uh, usually I have this goal of, and I know kind of what my training has been like, and so I kind of know where the the pace is that I need to be at, and, and I have an app on my phone that that talks to me in my ears every mile. It tells me how long that mile was, and and how long I've been running overall, and what my overall Paces and and uh, uh, she you know she talks to me every mile whether I want one or two or not and um, I guess I could. I don't know, I think I can make that like a guy's voice or uh you know whatever whatever intonation I want or uh accent I don't know I haven't messed with that but but uh, so I'm listening to music, but then I get interrupted every mile hey, you've gone a mile and you're going this pa- this pace so i I have a general idea of of where I'm going and, and how i'm how I'm doing but but in a race it can it can get pretty challenging to stay right on that pace that uh, that that you need. I tend to either get caught up in the excitement and I'm feeling good I'm keeping up with other people well that that I've got to be you know faster than that person or uh, uh, these guys are going well and I'm feeling good so I'm just gonna and so I end up going too fast a lot of times early on especially in the race or or the other is true I can get tired and sore and and I can slow down and usually without even realizing it and and so following a pacer is a is a great solution um, the the pacer runs the whole race. There's a, uh, a one that I mean I can't imagine running with that thing on your back the whole time. But but they 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 run the whole race and they've got this big sign. They're holding it or it's attached to them somehow and they're running the whole race with this sign. And either it has a certain pace per mile or a or a certain finishing goal time uh, printed on it. And people who want to run at that pace, uh, finishing the race right around that time, then they keep in step with that pacer. Uh, if you if you start out too quickly and you realize you're in front of the pacer, then you need to slow down and get back in, in step. If you're, if you're dogging it, maybe late in a race or maybe up a hill, you, you've got to push it to keep up with that pacer, no matter how hard it might seem. You, you want to keep in step with that pacer so you end up with good results. And I, I think it's a good analogy to say that the Holy Spirit is our pacer in life, leading us exactly where we should go. In my relationship with God, the Holy Spirit is living within me. He's doing or or trying to do all of those things that I mentioned before, uh, guiding and encouraging and counseling and convicting all the all those all those things. But if I'm not following his pace, if I'm not keeping in step with him, then I won't experience the abundant life that he's trying to lead me to. We have to be careful to not get out of step with the Holy Spirit. There's uh, four specific ways, maybe there's more, but there's at least four specific ways that I think we get out of step with the Spirit, and they're kind of a, a, a progression of sorts, I think. And so uh, I, I want us to look at, at those four things and, and, and as, uh, as warnings, I guess, of things not to do if we want to stay in step with the Spirit. The first thing is to don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says that exact thing. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grieve. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It's, it's interesting to use that word grief there, right? Uh, you can only grieve someone if you're in a close relationship with them, right? The Good News Bible translates this verse this way. Do not make the Holy, God's Holy Spirit sad. Don't grieve the Holy... Dr. Dennis Kinlaw writes it this way. He says, uh, a personal relationship has to be very close in order for grief to even be possible. You can grieve your mother or father. You can grieve your husband or wife. You can grieve a close and intimate friend, but you cannot grieve a casual acquaintance. You can offend him, but not grieve him. You can certainly never grieve an enemy. You can make him mad or hostile, but that's not grief. The word grieve indicates a tender, intimate, and loving relationship in which someone who loves deeply is hurt. I think the first question we have to ask as we see uh, the, the, that, that admonition, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, is am I living in such a close, intimate, personal relationship with the Holy Spirit that grieving him is even possible? Because I think sometimes we're so distant from the Holy Spirit that, that, that we're, we're an acquaintance at best. Am I living in that close, intimate relationship? where grief is even possible. But, but, but what is it that we do that, that would bring grief to the Holy Spirit? Well, the passage in Ephesians continues. It says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ uh, in Christ God forgave you. So th- there's a little bit of a list there, certainly not a, an exhaustive list. Bitterness, anger, slander. We, we could probably just say sinning, right? Sinning is how we grieve the Holy Spirit. Not obeying his guidance grieves him because he has our best interest at heart. Uh, God knows that following him leads to the best life. And if we decide not to follow him, not to surrender to his direction in our lives, then it grieves him because he wants what's best for us. Ephesians, it says there are things like kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Those, those are things that keep us in step with the Holy Spirit's leadership in our lives. If we're going to keep in step with the Spirit, don't grieve the Spirit. In, in Thessalonians, it tells us another way that we can get out of step with the Spirit, and that is to quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. There's a word maybe we don't use a whole lot. First Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. Other translations say it this way. Maybe it, it fleshes it out. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. There's that imagery of fire related to the Holy Spirit, tongs of fire, right? So uh, the, the, the Spirit uh, lights a passion for God in our lives and for sharing him with the world. Uh, someone who's keeping in step with the Spirit, we might refer to them as on fire for God, right? Passionately pursuing him. But it's possible to extinguish that fire. We can, we can cool to the things of God, right? We can shy away from sharing the good news of the gospel with others. We can see our passion wane and, and other things catch our eye and, and become more important. And, and we can justify uh, going this direction or doing this or getting ahead or falling behind the pace of the Holy Spirit. In a race, I can start off passionately devoted to uh, running a certain race, a certain way, a certain pace, right? certain finishing time. I'll do my best to, uh, to, to, to stick with that pacer, maybe, if I'm, if I'm wanting to get with one of those times. But, but I don't know. Um, I'll just be honest. Races are hard. There, there are these things, maybe you're aware, maybe not. There are these things, well, I'll just say, they're hills. There are hills that, um, that sometimes they make you run up the hill in, this, in, the, in the race. And, and sometimes... It's hot. Sometimes it gets hot. And sometimes it's humid. And sometimes it rains. And sometimes there's wind and you turn a certain corner and all of a sudden you're, you're not only just running the race and going uphill, but there's a wind fighting against it. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. Sometimes you get overheated or you get dehydrated and, and muscles can pull or cramp and, and joints can hurt. And pretty soon it's real easy to start justifying a slower pace. Or the need to walk for a minute. And then, hypothetically speaking, of course, at times you could find yourself on all fours in someone's front yard in Akron, Ohio, at mile 16 of a marathon, throwing up in the grass, wondering where your great pace disappeared to. I may be getting a little too personal there over sharing just a bit. In the difficulties and stresses of life, it can be easy to get our eyes off of the passion our passion for the pacer and staying in step with the spirit. And other things become more important and maybe a detour here makes perfect sense. And yeah, I know I should, but, but this is really, and how in the world could God expect me to? And there's soreness and pain and, and difficulty on the outside and on the inside. And it's easy to ju- just start justifying why we can't keep in step with the spirit. Your passion wanes, your fire burns low. It's amazing how my mind can switch in the middle of a race from everything is great to I am about to die and I need to stop. Our passion can wane in the things of the spirit and our fire can burn low and even go out. And so uh, uh, Paul in, in Thessalonians says, don't let it happen, don't quench the spirit's fire, don't put out the spirit's fire. Keep in step with the Spirit. Another thing uh, we, we, uh, we can read in Acts chapter 7, uh, we, we shouldn't resist the Spirit. Acts 7.51, uh, Stephen is talking to this group of people who have, have called him on the carpet and are accusing him of some, some awful things, and, and Peter sa- or, uh, Stephen says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Here we see this guy, Stephen. He's described as uh, being filled with the Spirit. He's, he's holy and, and uh, God worked mighty things through him and, and yet uh, the church leaders uh, were were accusing him and so he accused them back as he, as he was gathered with them and, and he accused them of following God on the outside with all the religious ritual kind of stuff but being empty on the inside. Those church leaders were resisting the change that God's Spirit wanted to make in their lives. They were opposed to it so much that they ended up killing Stephen, uh, this guy who was trying to hold them accountable for keeping pace with the Spirit. He's he's trying to convince them, don't resist the Spirit. And they got so uh, mad about that, they resisted the Spirit and opposed it so much that they killed Stephen, this guy who was trying to to get them back on track. See, once we started justifying things that that don't keep in step with the Spirit, it's it's easy to start actually resisting His influence in our lives. Again, Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, once uh, one begins to grieve the Spirit, the next step is to quench the Spirit's voice, and ultimately, resistance to the Spirit of Jesus takes up residence in the heart, unless one repents. So we find ourselves in in opposition to the spirit, resisting his guidance and direction. Our lives can deteriorate to the point of insulting the spirit. And that's the fourth thing, don't insult the spirit. So we can grieve the spirit, we can quench the spirit's fire, we can resist his influence in our lives, and ultimately we can get to the place where we are completely against him. Hebrews 10, 28, and 29, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? This passage in Hebrews was written to people who, who knew the truth once who had experienced God's grace and salvation and sanctification in, in their lives, and they had experienced the Holy Spirit in their lives, but then they decided to push him away, to disobey. The author here says that anyone who rejects God's covenant in Jesus insults the Spirit. I mean, it's, it's a very dramatic passage there, that, that describing someone trampling on the blood of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's also, uh, I believe, what Jesus was referring to in Matthew 12 as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Jesus describes that as unforgivable. We can go. We can go from grieving the Spirit with our sinful choices to putting out his fire and the passion in our lives, to resisting his influence and actually opposing him, and finally to insulting him to the point that we want nothing to do with God whatsoever. It's a progression, a dangerous progression that doesn't end well. So what's the solution? It's as simple and as difficult as Galatians 5.25. Keep in step with the Spirit. We must make it our habit, our mission in life, our love, our passion to follow the Spirit's pace. The Holy Spirit must be the ultimate authority in your life. There's there's a a story of a missionary couple who who went to the Middle East and they soon noticed a, a dove was nesting in the eaves over their front door. They, they took that as just one more confirmation of God's blessing on their ministry there. They, they had a fondness for wildlife and, and uh, they knew that the Holy Spirit was described as a dove and, and uh, they had really wrestled with whether they were going to go on the mission field or not. And so they ended up there and then this dove made its home right there and they just just kind of sensed in their heart this was an extra extra gift from God. But they began to notice something. If they let the door slam shut, as they came in and out, the dove would fly away. Or if they'd get into heated discussions from time to time, as all couples do, the, the dove didn't like that noise and would, would fly away. Uh, she'd come back later, but the next time there was some craziness or loudness going on in the house, then they, she'd take off again. And after noticing that a few times, the, the, the husband asked his wife, have you noticed that the dove flies off when we let the door slam or raise our voices? And she said, yes, and I'm concerned. I'm concerned that one of these times the dove is going to fly off and not return. The husband said, then I suppose if we want the dove to stay around, we need to adjust our lives to her because I don't think she is going to adjust to us. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come up alongside us and encourage whatever race we want to run. The Holy Spirit sets the pace. He's not adjusting his life to yours We have to follow him And adjust our lives to him When he convicts, we repent When he guides, we follow When he nudges us to say something or do something or or go somewhere We do it It's a surrender, a consecration of our entire lives To the Holy Spirit of God And that's when we experience abundant life that's what we would, uh, would, uh, could describe as entire sanctification where we've allowed the Holy Spirit to set the pace. No questions asked. I'm at your mercy. Lead me where you would have me to go. If you've committed your life to following God, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Are you letting him set the pace?